Welcome to a very special edition of Bridging the Political Gap as we say farewell to a special member of our team. in Vietnam must be won, won by the Vietnamese, that we can help them, but we can't win it for them. That was the prevailing feeling about Vietnam for a good part of the administration and... Ma'am, quick, Greta, we will have that and be prepared. ...is that in many of these awful votes Senator Lott cast in the Senate, Senator Thurman was voting the right way. In a peculiar way, Senator Thurman's record of the recent past is more progressive than Senator Lott's record. Often when you uh, would tune into our podcast, if you, if you listen clear, closely, you could hear my ever-faithful companion panning in the background during recordings. Uh, Cooper was almost always lying at my feet or, or, or to the side of my chair as I worked on putting this show, Bridging the Political Gap, together. He and I had been a team for the past three and a half years. We, uh, we were caretakers together, dispatchers, book writers, real estate agents, sign, campaign sign placers, and podcasters together. And as frustrating as I could be with him on occasion for the, uh, for the barks and the pants and the shakes, <laughs> I'm glad that I could not always figure out a way to get the sounds off the tape. Because no matter how unprofessionally it may have sounded to the listeners who tuned in, I was always glad Cooper was here. Cooper was my buddy, my protector, and often my emotional support animal through a long list of upheaval in the lives of both of us, really, over the past three and a half years and really going back to 2012. My brother, Keith Wallace, got the dog, to much to the dismay of everyone in the family. Cooper was 99 pounds. He barked in stereo, and he had boundless energy, especially when he was a puppy. He shared a home with Buffy, who was my dad's dog, a Pekingese, who taught him how to uh, run full steam, jump on an ottoman, and land in your lap. Now, that's a skill that uh, seems a lot less deadly when it's a little tiny Pekingese doing it, but when it's a 100-pound lab doing it, you, know, you just hadn't lived till he's landed in your lap like that. <laughs> Cooper was also hard-headed. He, he was loud and determined to get his way, um, and Keith was often known to complain to his friends about how their dogs would mind uh, whatever orders he gave them, but he couldn't get Cooper to do anything. Cooper was going to do whatever he damn well pleased. I think at uh, some point, every member of our family had thrown out a question to Keith, you know, what in the hell were you thinking when you went out and got this giant dog and brought him back him here for Daddy and Buffy to have to deal with? When I got Cooper, I had no idea what I was going to do with this giant dog in this tiny townhouse of mine. 
I can remember when my dad was real sick, I had gone over there, and I can remember sitting in the, on the couch and looking over at the two of them, because Cooper was, was very glued to my dad at the time, and I could see that my dad wasn't doing well, and I, and I went through my, something happens to my dad, I'm going to get stuck with this giant dog. What in the world am I going to do with this dog? And I actually tried to give him back to my brother's, the girlfriend that he was dating when, when uh, he passed away, because Cooper had kind of been her dog for a little while. And and I knew when I brought him home, he was going to end up mine. I'm glad I did, and I'm glad he did. Uh, Cooper came to to my house with a lot of anxiety problems. I can remember going to work every day and Cooper being up against the door. You know, And I'd shut the door, I could hear him, boom, against the door. And when I came back eight hours later, he was still sitting right there. You know, I don't know whether he moved around or anything most of the time. But you could just tell that he did not think that he was home and that this wasn't home. I started trying to work with him and spend a lot of time with him, and I think that's kind of when we bonded. You know, I could still remember we would still have my dad's house. We'd go over there, and you could just see how much more relaxed Cooper got once we got back over to my dad's house. But I think it was during that time, me trying to leave this dog's anxiety problems that Cooper and I kind of bonded. I walked him, I took him out in the cars, I took him with me to Manning, trying to make sure that he knew that he was home and, you know, to try to leave some of that. And before you knew it, Cooper was my assistant. He would ride along with me. It didn't matter what we were doing. I used to say he was, he was my, uh, my ride-along man, my sign man, or my uh, uh, director of security. <laughs> Though I can tell you he was absolutely worthless at regard no matter what happened, <laughs> he was not going to be a security guy. You know, it's kind of amazing when you looked at him because he was this big, huge, intimidating dog. He's about 100 pounds. And I don't think that I ever saw the dog mad. Thank the Lord. Because I could imagine if the dog ever got really mad, uh, what I would do. He was just this big, giant goofball. He just seemed to be happy to be with you all the time. He was just a tongue hanging out, looking around, and just... He was just a happy-go-lucky dog. He just Cooper just wanted a treat <laughs> all the time. And ironically, which my neighbors loved him. They just were giving him a treat. But, the, but the, 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 the neighbors in Manning, they were frustrated because Cooper would get out in the yard and just bark and bark and bark. That's all he'd do. They'd complain about it a lot. But when my dad died, the first question they want to know is what happened to the dog and how's the dog, who's taking care of the dog. So he had this way of... Uh, being frustrating and annoying and endearing all at the same time. And, and that was kind of what my memory of him would be. So, you know, I, I just started taking him everywhere. And, and we had, I had some part-time jobs, dispatching and the security jobs. So I'd be out late at night. And I, so I'd come home and take him for walks. And a couple of really funny stories about him. Um, one this walking, you know, taking him down the street. I would walk down toward the end of the block down here, and wherever Cooper did his business, I'd clean it up and put it in the dumpster. And one day, we, I was down on the other end and did that and walked about, about right the rest of our route, and I got down here. Somebody called me on the phone. I think it was Merwich Manor, and to talk to me. And Cooper would, if I was not paying him attention, he just would get behind me and lay down. So... I'm on the phone, and all of a sudden, I hear this guy, and he is hollering at me at the top of his lungs, cussing me for everything it's worth, saying some things that I'm not going to repeat here. And 
he's coming. I have to get off the phone because I'm like, I don't know whether I'm getting ready to get in a fight or what's getting ready to happen. This guy's just losing it down here. And he gets within about 15 feet of me. And, of course, Cooper gets up and steps in front of me. And he gets this, he's got this big dog stance that he would get in. And when he did, that guy took one look at me and he said, don't do it again. <laughs> and turned around and walked off. Cooper had that kind of, you know, presence. And one other time we were out putting up signs for, and he was a great sign man. We put up signs. He loved to go. He loved to, Cooper loved to ride. And he loved to go out with me when I'd be putting up signs. And I did them for Governor Henry McMaster, and I did them for uh, Representative Alan Clemens. And then again later when uh, for uh, Senator Luke Rankin. And then when Case Britton was running for the state house seat when Alan stepped down uh, all summer. So all summer I put up signs for various candidates. So Cooper's with me. It's like 3 o'clock in the morning on election night, or the night before the election, and we're getting signs out. And I stop at a Circle K down on, on the other end of town. And, and uh, I always, had a, as a habit, would leave the window down in the back so that he had, you know, he could stick his head out the window or whatever. And so I get out of the car, and all of a sudden I've got a guy on top of me, and he's wanting money. And he's kind of a little bit belligerent, so he didn't know what he was going to do. And out from the head comes, here comes Cooper's head, <laughs> tongue hanging out, tail wagging, he's looking all around, and you could just see that guy freeze, <laughs> and he just starts to back up. And I just kind of slid my hand down to the doorknob, so... You know, if anything happened, I just opened the door and out comes Cooper. But these guys were so scared of him, they just had no idea because they had nothing to worry about. Cooper was absolutely the most harmless dog in Myrtle Beach. If you've ever seen him out here playing with nibbles, my neighbor's 13-year-old, partly blind, dachshund, and see this little tiny dachshund showing its teeth and nipping at Cooper's heels and watching Cooper run from him, you knew I did not have a particularly brave (laughs) dog. He was just a big baby, but uh, he was my big baby. I I used to share his pictures on the internet and share crazy stories about him, and so he kind of developed a, a, a big following. And I, I have been extraordinarily touched by the outpouring uh, that has come from people on all my social media pages since Cooper got sick in June. It kind of came out of the blue. And I've said to to many people, if I were as popular as my dog is, I'd still be on city council. (laughs) People really just love Cooper. He had a neighbor over here that gave him treats every time we walked and uh, out, you know. And all my neighbors were worried about him. Just brought him. uh, One of them gave him this little rubber pig that he played with, and um, so it was really touching to have all these people that were concerned about him and I was also touched by the fact that here's this dog that unconditionally loved me and the whole family and this, the night of his surgery you know I had taken him over there because I, I didn't know what was going on he lost some weight and he was having some issues and I took him to the vet and they emergency surgery to remove his spleen and two cancerous tumors and the, the, the tumors were the size, the, the, the whole thing was the size of a softball. And I go in there and lay down in the kennel with him and, you know, pet him on the head. And uh, the vet comes out, Dr. Anderson, the Grand Strand Animal Hospital, and I can't say enough good things about them, too, and, and them getting through this illness. But he said, would you like to see the spleen in the, uh, in the, in the tumors? I've got them in the other room. And so I got up and, and walked into the other room, and Cooper was so sick that, we left the kennel door open, 
So we go in the other room, close the door to the hall there, and uh, he and I start talking, and he's showing me this, and he's, and he's telling me, hey, this dog may not make it through the night, and I just want you to be prepared that most likely uh, this dog's not going to make it. And as he's telling me that and showing me the tumors, all of a sudden the door opens, and there is my dog, there's Cooper, bleeding, drugged up, wobbly looking, but wagging his tail, ready to come home. And I told my vet, I said, you know what, he don't look dead yet to me. And I got a feeling that he's he ain't going anywhere. So uh, we put him up, and, and, and it told me that he loved our family unconditionally, and, and me too, and that he had been a happy dog. You know, I always tell people this. We, we as humans, measure greatness and we tend to be arrogant about it as humans. It's about us, and and but the greatness is building empires and running governments and and winning wars and doing all those great things. You know, like, like George Washington or Abraham Lincoln or or Franklin Roosevelt or Richard Nixon. You know, the people who do these tremendously great things. But sometimes greatness comes in smaller packages and in more focused calling. And Cooper was a great dog. And he came along at a moment in my family's life. He had been my my brother's dog. And my brother died of a brain aneurysm at 25. At that point, his girlfriend, Casey, she needed something to take care of and, and to have. And as life moves on, she moved on. And the dog became my dad's. And my dad suffered the rest of his life trying to recover from Keith passing. And it's a pain that none of us can understand unless you've lost a child. And you, and you can see that parents just don't get over it. And my dad didn't. But through that, you could just see that Cooper knew he was needed both early on by Casey and by my dad to get through it. When my dad died, he died two days after I lost my election, which is clearly not on the same level as death, but it's like getting fired in front of 35,000 people, and it hurts. And then you have your dad die, and that is tough, and you've got to recover from that. And at the same time, my mother, who had had cancer and gone through chemo, began, she was not recovering my stepfather had died and my mother was really struggling and I end up with this dog and what Cooper ended up being was like I said my buddy my emotional support dog but he helped take care of my mom the responsibility fell to my, my brother and I but my brother didn't live here and so I was there every night and I'd go spend the night with my mother and my mother was scared of dogs and but Cooper would sit by her chair and he didn't pester her the way he did a lot of people. He just would sit there and watch her. And I, sometimes I'd get in a recliner and sit down and fall asleep. And mother would get up. And he instinctively knew that she was not well. And he would come up to me and hit me with his nose. i get the nose hit. <laughs> to let me know she was up. I thought about that as when he got sick that it was, you know, his his turn to be doted on and looked after and and I tried to do that. And I had made a promise when my dog was so had anxiety ridden that 
that I would be there, that this was I was going to be here to take care of him, and I did. I stayed with him the whole time. I can remember now that last walk when he was so sick, he had a heart just out of nowhere. His energy level had dropped, and we walked, and he stopped four times in probably 15 or 20 minutes to stop, and I had to help him along, and finally I got in the got my car and got him and I found out the cancer had spread and um, was in his liver and 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 it just you know we were gonna have to let him go and I got in the car and as soon as I got away from everybody I was in tears crying driving and out of nowhere this dog who had struggled so to get down the street he sat up while I was driving and just put his head on my shoulder I guess trying to make me feel better uh, and so when we got to the doctor's office, it dawned on me that he had come into our life right before my brother died, and he had been showed us all this unconditional love to both my brother's girlfriend, and then my dad, and then to my mother, and to me. And then COVID struck, and here I am, old bachelor, living by myself, and and I ended up speaking fluent Labrador, <laughs> but it was me and him through COVID. And now that COVID's gone, I think the good Lord just said, hey, your work here is done. And while I would have liked to have had more time with him, you know, it was time to let him go. But if dogs go to heaven, there's no question in my mind that when he got there, he had a mission to get this small family through this decade of loss. And when he got there, the good Lord said to him, well done, my good and faithful servant. And I'm going to miss that dog. <laughs> Thank you. Good night. Camera on if he catch it. <laughs> <laughs> That's my dog.